Welcome to the Red, White, and Blue Flags F1 Podcast. I'm Ryan Vasquez. And I'm Steve McNally. We are your home for F1 racing, this side of the pond. On today's show, Verstappen's races for the birds. And is uh, Danny Ricardo's stock on the rise? And please, someone check on Ferrari. I think their strategy was good. And uh, stay tuned till the end to see if Ryan pulled a max and just took all the points between us and our predictions. Uh, but we'll start with the race. And once again, we had a world champion-filled podium with Max taking first, Fernando Alonso second, Lewis Hamilton third. Uh, Ryan, what did you think of the race? Interesting race. It definitely, you know, given that it was a start-to-finish win by Max, a little bit of intrigue here and there. Uh, a lot of DRS trains. I don't know. Um, it, some of the challenges that this race has... Uh, definitely was informative. I got a lot of information out of this race about where the cars are doing and where upgrades are going, but I don't know if it was a fun race to watch. So Max won by uh, nine and a half seconds over Fernando. That's the closest gap we've had so far this year, aside from Australia, which ended under a safety car. Is this fool's gold or are... Mercedes and Aston Martin with their upgrades actually making up some ground on, if not Red Bull in general, Max himself. Right. I guess it could be both, right, Steve? I mean, like, you know, we we definitely saw strategy yesterday where, you know, Fernando was lifting and coasting. Uh, Lewis could only, like, really pressure him so hard at the end on different tires. Um, Max is out front. He probably didn't have to drive hard, hard. He didn't even go for fastest lap. Um, don't know why that is. I know he had a little bit of an issue with a chicane um, where he almost wrecked it. Uh, he seemed to be in good spirits regardless about that. But we also know that he had a bird that he hit in um, his brake duct. So we don't know how much that impacts anything. You don't hear anything throughout the race. It was pretty, seemed like pretty early when he said, I hit a bird. But you don't hear anything about brakes or any issues after that. So it, it's hard to say if any of that impeded if he was just going a little bit at 80, 85, 90%. Um, I think there is some validity that I think the rest of the field starting to catch up a little bit. Um, they're definitely capable of putting down some good qualifying times. And um, so I think it's getting there. Um, I would say, for instance, uh, this Mercedes is not very good for this track, at least with the slow corners like that. And Lewis said as much. And they still finished third and, you know, under different circumstances, might have been able to go after second. They were competitive. Uh, and so I think it's pretty solid. I think we're seeing some of the teams start to close that gap. I just don't know if it's as closing, if it's closing enough where we were look at this and be like, hey, they're really making significant gains. You have to take the whole picture. Right. I mean, cer certainly having an extra passenger for 50 laps or so is not going to help your race pace, uh, especially like over the last two years where cars have really struggled to hit their, you know, minimum weights to the point where they're just stripping away paint and leaving bare carbon fiber everywhere. Um, so I'd, I'd like to think that they are getting closer, but, you know, you do have to take it with a grain of salt considering, you know, he had a little bit of Kentucky Fried Dinner on board. Um, I think a little bit of what's to play 
or or what would have could have affected what was in play yesterday. Uh, George Russell had a moment, attacked one of the chicanes too car too hard, and this is why I like about this track. You really have to attack, throw your car in, uh, get it over the curbs to make up ground, and he went a little bit too deep. Clipped the wall, hit it hard, blew out a tire, ripped off his front wing. Um, to his credit, pitted and went back out there and pushed it another 50 laps before it ultimately gave up the ghost and had to bring it in. But they were in a position with Lewis getting an amazing start, jumping Fernando at the beginning before turn one. So it's Lewis second, Fernando third, and then Russell uh, behind and fourth. And they were the only team to have two cars in play. So with George attacking Fernando, Fernando can't always be on the tack for Lewis. Lewis can just kind of run his race knowing he kind of has a rear gunner behind. Once George took himself out, now it's kind of every man for himself. Slow pit stop for Lewis uh, gives kind of, you know, Fernando the advantage he needs. And then they're both kind of, looking at the situation like this is the best we're going to get we're going to manage our race Fernando with a break issue Lewis on a different strategy at the end he's on mediums that he made up ground at the beginning but then the tire life comes out and then Fernando's on hard tires and you can't make up any more ground but if you have that second car in play if you have a teammate there it really opens up the strategy for what you can do and Ultimately, that that was kind of the story for the top three teams because you know, Perez wasn't in it, Stroll wasn't in it, and George took himself out. So I think there's a lot of teams looking around right now, kind of you know shaking their heads at points they've kind of left on the table. But one team that capitalized with both cars with good strategy, and you're not going to believe who it is, but it was Ferrari. I know, and I feel like they stumbled into it too, Steve. It wasn't even like it was a plan. But I mean... Because uh, <laughs> we're all yelling at the TV when it's happening. Like, no, they can't be messing it up again. Right. I, I, that they didn't at least pit one of those cars under the sergeant uh, uh, flag. And you're like, okay, why? And they made it work, right? And I think no team lets its drivers like dictate strategy more than Ferrari. Um, and always interesting to me when they decide to go that route, it always feels like the drivers never take any of the penalty of that. But also I know the drivers never get to do what they want. Sometimes we hear them complaining about the Ferrari strategy and it seems like sometimes they're right. Right. But, um, no, it worked out for them. They ran long on those tires, made their tires work, uh, got themselves back into contention in some cases cause they didn't qualify great as a team and ended up pretty decent, uh, you know, a day, you know, I, like you already mentioned the three top teams on the circuit did not have great days, uh, from their secondary drivers, if you will. And, uh, Ferrari, uh, ended up doing about as good as you could probably expect for them, given, uh, kind of the little bit of the hand behind the back that they started off with going into their day. Right, so I mean, three drivers: Charles Leclerc, Carlos Sainz, Sergio Perez. Each picked up six positions from where they qualified. 
uh, you know, started 10th, 11th, 12th, finished 4th, 5th, and 6th in order. Uh, they all had kind of a shambles on Saturday qualifying. Uh, Charles missed his ability to run the soft tire at the right time. Carlos impeded literally everybody and is lucky to walk away with only a three-spot grid penalty because that could have been multiplied. And then Sergio just didn't have it on Saturday at all. Uh, but they took advantage of, like you said, the uh, you know track position after you know George hit the wall, the safety car came out, and a lot of people came in, had the ability to get that free stop, and you're like, all right, surely, surely one of the Ferrari drivers have to pit now stayed out and just you know have your hands on your forehead wondering like why this this is a free stop why wouldn't you take it everyone's going to be on a two-stop strategy but uh surprisingly ferrari was decent enough on its tire wear which is something they haven't been uh stretched that first stint gave themselves enough gap to still pit and keep position and did a one-stop strategy and you know, paid off and they came home with a healthy points haul. One of their best, uh, you know, results of the year. And multiple times we heard them say, Carlos will not be attacking Charles. And that some of that too, you know, we, we always, we've been hearing it, you know, Carlos thinking that he's got the better car or Charles thinking, and they, they should be swapping on the track and they followed themselves around for a little bit there. And they actually worked team strategy and it looks like they, you know, decided that Charles was going to be the one who was going to be in front and uh, that they weren't going to ruin their chances by racing each other. So uh, one of the rare solid days all the way around from Ferrari, maybe a little bit of luck getting into that strategy, but ultimately they didn't screw it up somewhere else. They seemed to, once they had a little bit of luck getting into the strategy that they needed to, um, they seemed to consistently hammer home what would be a consistent strategy to a good day. Yeah, and you know, Carlos, he checked, just to be sure. It's like, you know, I feel like I got a little bit of pace here. Wink, wink. And, you know, they kind of tempered that expectation and said, you know, we're, you're, you're fine there. We don't, no need to push the car too hard. Uh, we'll just bag as many points as we can and, and you know, live to fight another day. Uh, I know they like Austria, which is coming up next. Charles won there last year. Uh Carlos had a barbecue, <laughs> but um, I think a, a handful of teams are looking forward to next week. Obviously, you know, that's nearly a second home race for Max. The Orange Army will be there, so Red Bull always be strong. Uh, I think Mercedes, seeing that it's an opportunity for them to be at a track that doesn't have as many low-speed corners as Canada as an opportunity, Ferrari with good results there, uh, and it being a power track might be another opportunity to talk about Alex Albon. Yeah, I mean, and Alex had a good day and did so with a great qualifying, just a great strategy in qualifying with the rain. Uh, went out there, took a gamble, had nothing to lose, was the right call, and ended up qualifying well and maintaining Top, topping, that. Yeah, topping the charts in Q2. Right, and, uh, and making sure that... Uh, he was in contention for points and hammered it home and brought it home. And I, you know, some things obviously factor into that, you know, as we talked about, uh, Checo, George, um, and Stroll all kind of like 
not having their best days for various reasons, um, which kind of jumbles up the top 10 in points, but still there to take advantage of it and good for Alex, which, you know, catapulted him up the, the driver standings a little bit. So Yeah, it was a, it was a mega drive for him. Uh, the first time Williams had topped a qualifying session in about a decade, I think, um, or close to it. So, you know, that big deal for them. Uh, and then obviously put one of his, you know, legendary defense masterclasses. He did a, uh, a 58 lap stint on the hard tires to end the race. So, you know, much like he did in Australia last year, it's may have a, you know, good pit strategy, get track position and just make your car as wide as possible. And it's so fast and straight line right now that even leading a DRS train, uh, the, the Alpine, Aston Martin, the McLarens that were behind him just couldn't get close enough to make a move, even on a track that has three DRS zones. Um, now, he was running with you know some new upgrades, and he was the only one with upgrades because Williams could only afford to put it on one car, so uh, Logan missed out on that, and on top of which ended up with an oil leak and his day ended early. But it was good to see Alex take advantage of uh, the new parts. And yeah, points wise, you know, it was a six point day for finishing seventh, which jumped the team up from last place with, uh, you know, essentially coming into the weekend with only one point, uh, jumped them above Alpha Tauri and only one point behind Haas and one point behind Alpha Romeo for seventh place. And Alex himself jumped up from 18th to 12th. So that that's a huge swing for one result. So I know, you know, we talked about what points should be given out. Is it being done fairly with all the reliability we have? We did have two DNFs, but only one of them was uh reliability related the other one was you know driver error uh but yeah alex jumping nico oscar valtteri guan yu Zhou, yugi snowda kevin magasin it with one result is uh you know nearly putting him in the top 10 you know he, he i would picked... say yeah i would say out of those drivers you just rattled off uh you know yuki's been consistent like knocking on the door and uh, I would say Oscar has really shown to me growth as a rookie, like really like, oh, this is, you know, some, some good opportunities here, you know. So I don't know if Alex, nothing against Alex. I think Alex is a good driver, unnecessarily not the greatest team. He's getting the most out of that car, but that team is not capable of like putting up points races every week. Uh, him benefiting from a good day and some smart qualifying, uh, he was able to jump up in the points and that, you know, may have some longer ramifications throughout the rest of the year. As we know that it's hard to, it's hard to come by points for a good half of the half of the paddock. Right. So it's just one of those things where, you know, I, I guess you, this is why you do it, but it's one of those things, Steve, where, uh, for the lower teams, for the teams that are just, you know, competing for not being last, uh, one race, can really make the difference in your season if you put it all together yep and 
you know, there there's an opportunity I think for Oscar to, you know, kind of do the same thing. Uh, you know, he he was running strong, finished just outside the points. Uh, you know, frustrating for him. He was you know, eleventh. The McLarens look good in qualifying. Didn't ultimately have all of the race pace. I think they got a little bit caught up by strategy. They could have done a little bit better. And obviously, Lando had a five-second penalty or or fifteen-yard penalty for unsportsmanlike conduct, which is something <laughs> I had never seen handed out before. But uh, ultimately, going too slow, creating too big of a gap under the safety car, so that he and Oscar could double stack without you know losing time. So cost him five seconds, cost him any points he would have gotten. And, you know, it's a shame because, you know, I think they both drove well enough for points, just did not work out for them. But it's good to see that they are more competitive than they were earlier in the year. Right. And so, you know, it wasn't a good day for some folks. Is that opening up the door? Are we starting to see the door open for early silly season? Right. That's what I'm curious about here, as we do have a few drivers in the wings with some F1 experience waiting for a slot to open up potentially. And we teased Danny, but uh, I'll stick with Williams real quick. Um, We're about to head to the ninth race of the season. Uh, A reminder that Alex Albon. Uh, jumped up to the Red Bull team in the 2019 season after race 12. Um, And so it is not that early, but I don't want to just take a rumor, a bad rumor, but Logan had another bad day. Uh, There's been a lot of talks about Toto trying to get Mick into a seat. Um, And it seems like there's some favorability with Mick because of the name recognition and possible money that could bring to a a Williams team that is, as we've talked about on this cast, struggling for cash um, and getting themselves up to a good space. Uh, Could it be that we see a change coming here soon? So, yeah, uh, certainly the rumors are out there. I think, you know... uh, Logan has not shown, you know, maybe his full potential. The car hasn't been great. Obviously, he's not driving the fully updated car that, you know, Alex has. But this is not the first time he's been outperformed by his teammate. Obviously, he doesn't have any points. And Alex had one point finish beforehand. He's beaten him in every qualifying thus far this year. So, easily handled as far as the, you know, teammate matchup. Um, And, you know, I I think he was always kind of someone given a shot because he's an American. We're going to have three American races, and it's kind of a win-win in that, you know, aspect. But uh, I, I think, you know, you need to look at results. And I think you need to look at where the team could go with, you know, the the most competent driver that might be out there. Um, Is it Mick? I I think it's just the relationship with Mercedes right now and Mercedes' relationship with Williams, you know, both with, you know, team principal Total Wolf on the Mercedes side and James Vowles on the Williams side that, 
you know, there's there's no friction to getting Mick into that seat within the relationship of, you know, team leadership. As far as, you know, ownership and sponsors, who knows? But that's that's certainly something to look at. Uh, additionally, you know, you brought up Alex Albon moving into the Red Bull team in 2019. He replaced Pierre Gasly. Um, and it was, you know, kind of a situation where the team was not impressed with Gasly's results. Uh, again, he's going up against Max Verstappen, who's, you know, uh, as elite as they get. And Max, during that stretch of 2019, uh, he was consistently putting his car up in fourth place, a couple of podiums, even picked up the odd win. And in the meantime, Pierre with, you know, you would think the same car is picking up a bunch of fifth, sixth, sevenths, and they felt like a change was needed, so they put Alex Albon on the car. But I I would look at this year You've got probably the most dominant car in the last 10 years. Uh, You you know, there's a lot of comparisons that can be made to Mercedes and how dominant they were. But this car is at that same level, if not better. You have two drivers in this absolutely dominant car and Sergio Perez in his last four races. No points, fourth and sixth. So if he's getting the same results that Pierre Gasly was getting when he was in the third best car... But now Sergio Perez is in the best car, one of the best cars. I don't know how you can't look at the opportunity to... Yeah, I'm not saying they should pull the plug on him. I'm just saying he continues to leave the door open. He keeps the conversation alight with the inconsistent results. When you have someone on the other side of the garage in the same car who gets pole, leads every lap, wins the race... Your expectation is to finish second. And he is getting middle-of-the-road points if he's even getting points in the last couple of races. Yeah, that's a bad time for Checo to go into this stretch here. I mean, now he's just relegated to stealing a point off Mercedes at the end of the race, really, uh, and driving the best car he has. He's just had bad qualifying the last few races, um, while Max is continued his ascendance. Checo has just not looked good when it's, you know, early part of the season, it was really like Checo could be a problem for Max if they're going to have to figure out uh, which Red Bull driver, you know, they're going to have to make a decision about who's going to compete for the championship and, and dynamics like that. Now it just looks like a runaway uh, and, you know, that's okay. It's no big deal. Um, but it's Checo pulling his weight now too, because now it's not now he's struggling to get into points. He's not he's not qualifying. He's not getting out of Q three. Sometimes it's 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 an issue. Do you think you've got someone better waiting on waiting in the wings? Someone who's popular um, and maybe looking for a resurgence, like Danny, right? Uh, yeah, you know, like che- Checo has not made Q three in the last three races, but Nico Hulkenberg has made it twice. Alex Albon's made it. Oscar Piastri's made it. You're in the fastest car on the grid by nearly a second. And you're seeing you know, Haas and McLaren and Williams get in the Q3. And you haven't been able to do it for three straight races. Yeah, it's not a good look for a team like that, right? I mean, 
it wouldn't be a good look if that happened to Lance Stroll or if it happened to George Russell, right? Uh, right. It's it's not good when you have the dominant car on the track by far and away. Um, you know, uh, it's one thing if you can drive that car through a bad qualifying day. It's another thing when it's hindering your team's performance. I don't think it's going to tank Red Bull enough to lose the constructors' championship. Um, because Max has been so dominant, but uh, it may make you wonder if you want to continue on with this, uh, you know, with this relationship if you have a chance to get off, right? Right. So that that's one Red Bull team. So that that's kind of, and, and Daniel Ricardo's the reserve driver there. So he's, you know, his specter is always haunting the the possibility of of coming in. But the other sister Red Bull team. Uh, we have to talk about the other rookie, Nick DeVries. Uh, obviously, Logan Sargent, no points. Nick DeVries, also no points, and kind of had an absolute shocker of a race. He obviously did not make it into Q3, which is you know hardly expected of of the Alpha Tauri at this point. But in the race, just uh, you know had couple of consecutive incidents with Kevin Magnuson you know, banging wheels both of them getting uh, trapped on the bike lane behind the track and just what was never in contention for anything kind of driving around with a reckless abandon uh, I, I don't know it, it showed such promise doing a substitute last year and scoring points in his one and only race getting a full time seat and has done nothing with it. And, you know, with that team's Red Bull relationship, Danny's the reserve driver for both teams. And you wonder if they want to put somebody in that second seat, not just to be more competitive, but I'm sure they want to get a true measure of Yuki Tsunoda because he's easily better than Nick DeVries, out-qualifying him, the only person on the team scoring points, um, you know, and obviously when he's not scoring points, he's still consistently in you know eleventh or twelfth place, which is his favorite place to finish. But you know, they they want to get a true measure of the driver that Yuki is, and you put someone like Daniel Ricardo in that second seat, and it gives you a better idea, a better litmus test for the future of Yuki Tsunoda, because. Sergio Perez is in his 30s and they want to have you know some younger talent for a longer term amount of time and like is Yuki going to be that guy we need to to know and what better way than to test him up against you know a veteran like Daniel Ricciardo as opposed to Nick DeVries who uh, I, I, I watched it happen I think Magnuson was so upset about what happened he just blocked DeVries from rejoining the track. Like, you watch it back. Like, he could have stopped and turned his car and and got out of there. But I think he just rolled it right up behind DeVries. And like, all right, you know what? We're both going to be in here. You're going to sit here until I'm ready to move. And I think it's... Uh, you know, George Russell has some comments. Before the race, there's like three people I don't trust. He didn't name names. But I'm sure one of those three people are Nick DeVries. 
And it might also have been like, you know, I, I know they were talking about how it was a smart move that they did it that way because it was a safer rejoin. And it was probably uh, someone taking over in that situation that knows that the other one might fuck that up. <laughs> for, you know, it's, so it, it's, it's one of those things where I... I there was a lot of cockiness from Nick DeVries, you know, especially if you watch Drive uh, to Survive, right? Um, about coming in, right? And uh, he's gotten quite an education this year. Um, it's abundantly clear that Oscar is the best performing rookie by far and away, in my opinion, of the three. I feel like Logan hasn't gotten a fair shot. And I think Nick's kind of shot himself in the foot a little bit. And so um, you, you look at these drivers and you're like, well, the way Nick's driven, I mean, I think it's no different than Mick last year, right? A uh, little bit disastrous. People don't trust you. They don't know what's going on out there. You're not driving up to your skill level. And, you know, he hasn't bended as much as Mick did, which is really what did Mick. And nothing will cost you more than costing the team money when you don't have money. But, um, but, but Mick also had it, point scoring, you know, performances. Right. And so, you know, I hate this because, you know, you don't see this in a lot of leagues uh, because you're so committed to rookies, you know, in other sports, um, even in like other racing leagues like NASCAR and stuff like that. Rookies get a couple of years to figure it out. You don't even get a full season sometimes with how hard it is to break into F1 and with drivers waiting in the wings, either very talented drivers waiting to move up or some talented drivers who just found themselves without a seat. And in this case, we have both. So I don't think we're going to get a young driver jumping in in the middle of the season. I'd be very, very surprised. That'll be end of season stuff. But I would not be surprised to see Mick and or Danny end up in a car this uh, this season. And it'll probably be at the expense of the two rookies that we mentioned that weren't performing as well as Oscar Piastri. Right. Uh, I feel like those are the most susceptible. I mean, there, there's another teammate out there who's getting absolutely drubbed by the number one driver who's probably got the most secure seat, and that's Lance Stroll. Uh, uh, you know, felt like, all right, may, maybe he's turned things around last week in Spain, finishing six, finishing ahead of his teammate, which I think that was only because Fernando decided to stay behind him as opposed to he had a better race. Uh, but Lance, uh, home Grand Prix, second fastest car, and... You know, first he didn't make it out of Q2, which, you know, yeah, it was wet, but you know what? You got a pole position in wet conditions in Turkey. Like, you're supposed to be able to drive in the wet. Um, and then in the race, nowhere for 85% of it. And then kind of at the end where he's, you know, the caboose in that Alex Albon DRS train and... Lando's got his penalty, so he falls back behind him, and he, Lando, after he skipped the chicane and rejoined, uh, Lance was able to get in front of Valtteri at the line, just for how everyone kind of like rejoined in that situation. Mm-hmm. So he ended up with two points, finishing ninth, but it was kind of a, you know, un- undeserved, unearned yeah. ninth position, and certainly lucked into those points and. Uh, mostly just by being in the right place at the right time. Um, 
uh, you know, a, a, an out of place performance by George, obviously taking himself out of the race. Although, in fairness, I mean, getting back on the race, he was actually in the points and doing pretty well. They just, I guess, felt like the car couldn't make it to the end of the race. I hate that they did that. Uh, it, it sucks to me to see him go out there and ride, ride around for another 30, 40 laps. And they're like, eh, 17, 18 from the end. We're like, we're going to have to put it in. Um, but yeah, uh, George finishes and no Lando penalty. Lance right. is out of the points, and out he's got a points. team. Yeah, he's got a yeah. teammate who obviously Fernando Alonso is a generational talent, but he's also forty-two, and he's finished on the podium six times out of eight races. He's put it on the front row in qualifying, and the best Lance can muster all year is a fourth place. Yeah, you'd like to think that Lance, who is not a young driver technically anymore right he uh at this point should be right starting to put together what he looks like he should be in his prime as a driver yeah 24 in age but this is his seventh full season right and he has had multiple opportunities uh he's been with this team the whole time for the most part um uh for its growth and, you know, I mean, you mix in a couple of sixes, a couple, a seven, a nine, a fourth is his best this season, as you mentioned, and two retirements. And you're just like, eh, you know, that's, is that great? He's never been better than 12th in point or 11th in points, I'm sorry. And it's just, you just wonder, uh... Are we ever going to see better than this? I mean, he is he is trending for a better season this year, but is eighth what you want to see? Yeah, I mean, uh-huh. you're gonna, you're going to have a his teammate. I I would expect at the end of next race in Austria that he's going to be second in the standings. You know, he he's only uh, nine points behind Sergio now. Sergio's not in great form. I you know if if Fernando finishes second the next race. I think he's going to be second in the championship. So you're going to have, you know, the one driver in second place and the other one scraping to stay in the top 10. Um, and, he, you know, he's kind of in eighth place alone. He's not in necessarily striking distance of Leclerc, who's in front of him, and then George and, and Carlos. He's, like, not in that group of three. And then way out of the next group of three, which is Sergio, Fernando, and Lewis, and then you know, Max is in his own world, but you know he's closer to the Alpines than he is to getting up to the Ferraris. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know. I just think that we're we're at a point where some people have rides that probably should be under more pressure, but they're not, and other people have rides that should get a little bit more grace before they get replaced, but won't. And that just is the nature of F1, which is unfortunate. Um, there's just a, for all the pressures that there are, and they talk about silly season and guys getting yanked, especially the tempestuousness of Red Bull and how quickly they yank their drivers. It's amazing how long certain people are allowed to stick around versus others. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd love to see what Alex Albon could do in the Aston Martin next to Fernando Alonso. Like, I, uh, putting him in that car, I, I'd love to see like what he's capable of. I, I know he didn't, you know, get, get a chance to last at Red Bull because after they, you know, 
brought out the hook for Pierre Gasly. They gave, you know, another year to Albon in that seat, and then they, you know, yanked him out. Um, but he was younger. Going up against Max is tough. Being in that second seat in that team is tough. But you know, I want Alex in a in a more competitive seat. Um, yeah, I think. And I de- Alex, definitely want to see Lando in a more competitive seat, too. Right. I think Alex probably needs to find consistency before someone takes a stab on him as a more veteran driver. And, yeah, I, I think I'd like to see Lando in a more consistent car, right? I right. think he's he's probably one of the more talented drivers out there on, uh, on, on the track. You can see him really do a lot with little, you know, uh, turn lemons into lemonade sometimes and really put down some good things when they all click. But we all seen how McLaren's been up and down. Uh, you can't really blame Lando for some of that stuff, right? Right. And, I mean, you, you look at there's there's really only three teams people would want to, to be in. You know, you want to be in Red Bull, you want to be in Mercedes. Well, I, I'm four. Red Bull, Mercedes, Aston Martin, Ferrari. Like, Aston Martin has just entered the conversation this year as being, like, a destination. Um and, yeah, but, but I would say it, have built it over time. Uh, well, yeah, a, a, but, a lot of a lot of credit to Lawrence Stroll for making that team consistently enough where it's desirable, right? Right. But you know, obviously, last year, uh, you know, Vettel was in the seat, and you know they were, you know, seventh in the championship. But just you know what wasn't there for them last year. But you know, if you're a driver looking at advancing your career, like I need to be in a Red Bull, a Mercedes, a Ferrari, or an Aston Martin. Like nowhere else is going to give me the opportunity to, like not, not Alpine, not Alfa Romeo, at least not now. I mean, if you can hold on to Alfa Romeo to when they become Audi, potentially, but you know, it does seem like right now they are even a little bit behind on their development for 2026. So it does not look like they'll be off to a great start. Um, but those those seats aren't going anywhere. Lewis Hamilton, you know, still haven't heard you know definitively about him signing his next contract. Fernando looks like he could drive till he was fifty. Um, you know, the the only wiggle room you might have is that Ferrari, where maybe they feel like there's somebody better than Carlos signs in that seat, and that might be a Lando. And then if Charles Leclerc ends up you know, leaving because he's just fed up with the whole situation. But again, where's where is he gonna go? You know, would Red Bull take a chance on making him Max's teammate and like you know, we'll just let the fireworks play out? I don't know. Right. You know, team building has to be done, I guess, thoughtfully, especially considering who your lead is who your lead is and who's coming along. You've got certain people who might be getting jobs who are looking to make a name for themselves, uh, looking to get you know, might have pressure to do well early. Um, and, you know, might not always align with what the team wants, which is to support the team, support the the lead driver, et cetera. So you just got to be smart about how you build your teams. But you know, uh, I feel like not too far will be not too far down the road will be down one American driver, um, and uh, I don't know when the next one's coming. So uh, it feels like these seats are a little harder to come by unless they start forcing out some guys that we're not looking at, right? Right. I just. Uh... Don't want to hear the Dutch national anthem anymore. I know. I th- I, th- I thought my reverse uh, 
Jinx was going to work this race because God knows if I pick somebody to win, they don't. But so well, like Max, I'm going to go with Max this week. <laughs> and if if I lose a point, great, because we got somebody else. But I didn't. Uh, I got the point, which I'm happy to get the point. But I would much rather have a different uh, driver win the race. Well, let's cover our Canadian Grand Prix predictions since you so delightfully segued to how well you did. Um, I'll go first because it was absolute shambles. Uh, you know, I I said th- this was a reverse jinx in a way. I said we wouldn't have any DNFs just because the reliability had been so good and we hadn't had e- even a sniff of a safety car for a while. Uh, and obviously we had two. Logan Sargent went out with an oil leak and eventually George Russell's car succumbed to its wounds and didn't finish the race which goes into my second prediction I said George Russell would win um, you know which I yeah I felt pretty good about it you know he had a decent enough qualify he started fourth he was on Alonzo's tail like it, it could have taken a little bit of luck but he was at least in play before he drove his car into the wall and then uh, waved bye-bye. So no points for that. And secondly, or excuse me, thirdly, I said a rookie would get points and Oscar was was just there. Like just, uh, you know, less than a second off of points and tantalizingly close because he spent a lot of the day uh, running in points position and... You know, they were a team that decided to go with the two-stop strategy. And, you know, ultimately I think that led to them getting jumped by both Ferraris and Sergio Perez. I mean, I can't really fault them. That seemed like the better strategy to do. How are you not going to pit during a safety car and take a, you know, free stop? Which is why we were yelling at the Ferraris to begin with. But strategy paid off for them didn't work out for the McLarens so Oscar finishes just outside the points as do I (laughs) well I uh, as I mentioned got the point for my reverse jinx that failed Max won the race start to finish um, only needed the uh, fastest lap to get the grand slam for the weekend I also said that Fernando Alonso would finish on the podium and he finished second and I said that Lance Stroll would not, knowing that Lawrence Stroll desperately wanted them to have a two-podium finish, and that didn't happen because his son let him down. So uh, <laughs> I, I got all three points um, for my predictions. And as I said, Steve, I think I'm going to pick pick Max as one of my predictions for the rest of the year until he loses a race. And I, I just have to put the reverse jinx in every week. Just to see. Fair enough. Now you've you've taken a commanding four point lead, uh, so you can almost take a week off. If I score, you know, a, a three nil decisive victory, you're still in the lead. So, congratulations. I'm not mad at all. So speaking of take a week off, uh, we will not have a race next week. We have a break until we go to Austria, Osterreich Ring for the Austrian Grand Prix. Another one I'm excited for. Uh, But we'll still have some content for you next week. We'll have another show, talk about some news. Let this one simmer for a little bit. 
for sure. Yeah, we goes. We hopefully will um, have some content for you in the meantime, especially if uh, some rumors break. But that does it for now for this edition of the Red, White, and Blue Flags F1 podcast. Again, I'm Ryan Vasquez, and I'm Stephen McNally, and we will catch you next time across the line. <laughs>